Welcome to episode 51 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on this week's show, we have a very special guest with us, Sebastian Arnaud, who I met because uh, some of you may, may have been following the show and know that I created this board game called Swarm. And one of the things that I really need help with is uh, an AI created for this board game. One of the very first blog posts that I did about Swarm, I said on the bottom that I was looking for someone to help me make the AI and posted that on Twitter. Sebastian was one of my followers and got in contact with me. And that's really how we met. So, hey, Sebastian, thanks a lot for joining us on the show. Hey, you're welcome, Justin. Yeah, well, that was a good, that was a good, that was a uh, much better intro than last week because I don't think we even did an intro for Dvorak. And <laughs> there's several people commented like, who, we, I didn't even know who that guy was. <laughs> like, how could, how could people not know who John Dvorak was? I mean, he's like, he's, like he's, he's tech royalty. You'd think so, but uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, there's always things that slip by. People just focus on different stuff. And, uh, you know, Bams was the one who first, uh, I think, commented that. And he's clearly a, a bright guy and knows a lot about tech, but I don't know. It's I guess just, that's just uh, my uh, or our cognitive bias about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a good intro. <laughs> okay, Well, cool. you know, uh, I want to just say one thing um, before, before we get into it, uh, Sebastian. It's funny, you know, I had been, when Justin first told me about the idea of Swarm, it was that about a year ago, he had worked on this game, I guess, how many years ago did you first, was it when you first created the concept? It's about four, four years ago. Yeah, and so then I, I, not long after we met, and right around the time we started doing the podcast, he said, hey, let me show you something. And he, he had, I don't know, I think it was like a Flash-based little uh, version of the game. And I was like, well, you really need AI for this. And he's like, ah, you know, I don't really know how to do that, and I think it would be impossible anyway. And I said, well, I, you know, I just I don't see how it's going to gain much traction unless you give people the opportunity to play against the computer um, before they, you know, that's just what they're going to want to do before they try and pull their friends into it. Anyway, and so I, I got kind of excited about the idea initially. I said, well, you know, I'll build the AI. I'll evolve the AI and maybe write a white paper on it or something. I said, that would be really cool. But as it happens, I just got so busy with, with other things, with other projects and consulting work that I just didn't have the time to do it. And um, so it's nice that at least somebody's picked up the ball <laughs> and decided to do something about it. So, uh, Sebastian, oh. why don't you give us a, yeah, so I'd like to just hear about, you know, how you, how you kind of discovered it and what made you come up with the idea of building the AI for it? Um, well, I've been following Justin on Twitter for quite a while. Uh, great content, by the way, uh, always. Oh, uh, so uh, I kind of saw the initial post about Swarm and uh, looked it up. And unfortunately, I don't have an iPad. So I said, okay, great. I'm just going to read, the, you know, view the little screencast of how it works. It sounds great. And when I have one be later this, this year, uh, I'll be able to play with it. And uh, then I saw the post um, of Justin looking for an AI uh, person, and I've been involved with um, with AI work for the I will say past two or three years, really a lot more um, through uh, various work that I do during the day, um, and um, and I you know really as a career decision I made uh, a few years ago to try to get more involved in that field because it's actually from a developer's perspective it, it's uh, it's really fun. There's a lot to be discovered. I mean, if you're thinking about you know getting into tech and programming i think the ai is like the the most entertaining field um first i think because uh, most people like to challenge their skills uh, on games on game platforms so you know you, you've right. seen along the years you know chess and checkers and all kinds of games uh, they're kind of here to kind of show off you know the best of the breed ai algorithms and um right. 
And so when I saw Justin making that announcement, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see if I, if I, you know, if he's interested in getting some of the stuff done, uh, let's uh, let's look at it because the it, the game actually is quite unique in many many characteristics. Um, and, co- and poses some u- unique challenges, uh, I think, for, from an AI perspective. Um, and so I think that's why that's you know one of the most critical thing was okay, the game's actually new. Um, there's nothing that's been done on the subject yet, uh, and we can really have a fresh look at this game and 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 look at the challenges and try to apply different techniques that have been done in the past to even invent a couple of you know new techniques as we go along. And one key thing. That you just said, Jason. That you know, there's no right now. There's no one-player mode, and I'm right. really excited about the fact of bringing even an AI, even if it's just a child version uh, initially, and, and see how the AI can actually make the game evolve. Because um, I know right. Justin mentioned a couple of things, like you know, some rules may change um, depending on the board layout or other kind of configuration, and I think that would be really awesome to see the AI being, uh, you know, a driving factor of how the game will evolve. Like, if you actually change a rule, you can actually rerun a bunch of games, you know, uh, with the AI playing against each other and see how it turns out. Does it bring more draws? Does it bring more wins uh, for the white or black color? I mean, you have all those kind of things. So I think this is really exciting because, you know, when most games, um, at least board games, don't have an AI to start with. Uh, and the the you know it's like chess right you know thousands of years of, of looking at the strategy human strategies versus uh, the computer trying to come up with a proper strategy to to play against a human but here I think there's a unique thing which is you know swarm is all fresh right uh, yeah. <laughs> brand new right. and I think the AI has a great way to influence. Uh, the playing uh, of the game early on to make it evolve to maybe even maybe a, a better game a lot more fun to play with later on. And also, from a player's perspective, it could actually be used to to train the users uh, how to play, you know, to make common mistakes. You know, the the, the first exactly. version mm-hmm. of the AI I'm working on is going to be pretty childish, but you know, will actually be unforgiving if you if you leave your board in a in a position where the opponent can somehow make a move and take a piece, it will probably do it. Uh, so you know, you, you on on that on that standpoint, you know, it will kind of be like a, a a little trainer, even when you just start to play before you actually start to play against somebody that's more experienced. Let me just back up one one minute here, I, I, just in case there's anybody who's new to the podcast or hasn't really been paying much attention to our conversations about Swarm. I thought I'd just give like a just a real quick synopsis of what Swarm is. In my view, as an outsider, not as a non designer of it. I would describe it simply as a sort of cross between chess, backgammon, and go. You capture, or you can, one way to eliminate the other uh, pieces from of the opponents is to capture them like you do in go. You can move your pieces off the board like backgammon. You roll the dice like backgammon, and you have different types of pieces, queens, drones, and workers that have different movement characteristics. So it's kind of a it has has elements of all three, and it's all built around this concept of kind of bees, you know, swarm and drones and workers and all that stuff. So, so. yeah, so your pieces have ranks. So that's so the queen is obviously the highest rank, and the workers the lowest rank. Actually, Justin, you know, and Jason, when playing the game and initially analyzing it, I actually I do see a lot of properties that are coming from Stratego because Stratego has rank mm. as well. Mm. Um, and the way that you move your pieces, I mean, you don't take a piece by a single attack. You have to actually make sure that the piece is actually blocked in all directions. But there is some uh, similar strategies that are coming from Stratego, uh, looking at how you play Swarm. So, well, Justin, did you look at Stratego? Was that one of the influences for you, or are you even aware of that game? I'm I'm not aware of it to be honest. I hadn't heard of it, but I, I I'm not surprised that um, that it you know it would have some similarities to games like that because 
I mean, there's only so many things you can do with, with pieces in a board. And, and, and so one of the things is, so you have, a, there's an iPad version of the game called Swarm SG that people can go and play if they're interested in, and which, and you're looking for, you're trying to get people to use this. So anybody, if you're trying to listen to this and you kind of like board games, go check out Swarm SG and uh, help Justin out by giving him a really nice review on uh, iTunes. And, and the next, but the next update is going to contain Sebastian's AI. Okay, that's right. That and that'll be, and I, you know, I think that's really uh, an important aspect. I mean, I know I've I've been a harped on that since the beginning, but you know, at least me personally, I'm not really interested in playing somebody when we're both kind of idiots and we don't know what we're doing. You know, it's just it's kind of annoying, and I don't like playing against somebody who's an expert when I'm just kind of figuring it out because I feel like an idiot. It just is kind of it just it's just sort of frustrating. I'd rather just kind of play against a computer and just try some things and realize, oh, that's stupid. This is how I need to think about it. And I think there's probably a lot of people who who wouldn't mind messing around with it if they could play against it. And then once they get a sense of it and feel like, okay, I kind of get it, I'd like to play it, then they might pull their friends in. And uh, I just think that's such a big deal. So it's really, um, yeah, it's really a big deal, I think, that Sebastian's working on this. So, all right, Sebastian, with that, why don't you, uh, you know, uh, go on, Justin, I guess you're going to finish asking your question about the AI. Well, I was just just going to ask why, okay, I guess the first thing is, why is it so difficult to build an AI for Swarm? Why why is it complicated? Why is that an, an issue versus chess, for example? Um, well, I mean, there's any game, any board game, uh, I mean, the complexity is basically lays in the number of possibilities at each turn. And, you know, if you if you followed, you know, Checkers was solved, I think, about 18 months ago. It took them, I think, seven years to compute every possible move on the board of Checker. Um, uh, so it's, you know, billions of different combinations. And, and Swarm is unique in, in, the, in the fact that compared to a chess board, or, because I think it's the closest, I think we have 11 PCs on each on each side for Swarm, it's uh, 16 for chess, so we're kind of close here. But the the unique aspect of Swarm is that you can move either your PCs or the opponents, so at each turn you really have not 11 uh, options to start with, you have 22 when the game begins, um, you also are able to play multiple moves at your turn. So actually, you know, if you play with the the, the standard, which is you know, so if you know dice, right? If you play with that no dice version, which is six point, allows you to make up to really six moves maximum, which would be six drawn moves. Uh, since uh, the cost of a drone move is one for yourself, it would be free if it's, you're trying to move the drone of the opponent. So about six depth for just one turn. If you if you play um, with the dice, you can have up to 12 drone moves at the maximum. So a lot of things can change on the board very quickly with 12 moves, even if it's drones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you look at that aspect of the number of pieces you can move, the options you can move, it's, uh, it quickly snowballs into, uh, well, at each turn, I really you know, have probably hundreds of possibles, if not thousands of possibles, move. And then if you explore any of that board configuration at one turn, so when the opponent is about to play, then you have, another, again, thousands of possibilities. So it just multiplies and multiplies very quickly and faster than chess. So uh, the, 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 that's the first challenge. The second challenge is that um, the implementation. Right now, Swarm is running on the iPad. Uh, Justin implemented it in, uh, in JavaScript, mainly the game engine. And the AI has some kind of a constraint as well, uh, which, you know, again, where a lot of the big AI of games uh, have been, you know, 
computed or designed with you know gigantic CPU power in the background uh, to actually you know do all those computations. Uh, so you know, the, the the limitation here of the platform is, I think, a, a challenging factor because I always think that when you have no limitations, you're not creative enough. And I think that's where I think that limitation of the platform will actually force us to to bring um, a creative approach uh, to to the AI. Um, And um, and then also, thirdly, beyond just the number of moves possible, you know, being much greater in magnitude compared to chess or the implementation requirements and, and limitations. The third one is that there's actually multiple ways to win, um, uh, which again adds some complexity to the engine. Um, because in chess, where you pretty much you know win when you get checkmate, uh, the opponent can't just not move on, on any square without being attacked. Um, but for swarm, uh, you can win a various number of ways. You can really capture the queen uh, of the opponent and collect all the points on the board, or um, you can go through the goal. Right? I mean, it's also a uh, I, I know there's so different scenarios here, um, and there's also some variations in the, in the terms of taking a piece. Uh, you know that you introduce Justin, such as you, know, you can the piece has to be uh, uh, circled by uh, in every direction and have at least one opponent's piece outranking the piece you're taking. Uh, but also you can have a full encirclement uh, to take a queen with just a, a bunch of of drones, really. So it's uh, uh, an interesting variant. So again, lots of little details here and there, but that will add to the complexity um, of the AI. And uh, and in fact, again, the fact that the game is is new is also you know uh, we're just brand new in the analysis of you know what are the, tra- the strategies and Justin you described to me a couple of strategies you developed yourself while playing the game uh, but you know the I think we're just here scratching the surface especially when there's actually different board layout to start from um, that's that's yeah. something that's very challenging and very encouraging where you know the AI will have to find which uh, which uh, I will say scenario or which thing to emphasize depending on the board layout. So, so do, you, do you think that it, it would be possible to get a white paper from this then? I think so, yes, definitely, yes. Uh, I think the, from what you described, you want a, you know, basic AI to throw in the game to, to get started, right? Uh, and, and, you know, and my goal here would be to also if we can start to collect uh, game logs. Because really, we want to see okay, how good is AI doing, right? Uh, is it beating the players? Is it's it's you know uh, facing, uh, or are the players just you know wiping the AI out all the time and it's not entertaining from from that point of view? Uh, but also from the point of view that you know the of the AI, there's several kind of I would say big branches of AI to 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 actually uh, do a build a game. Um, systems and you know one thing that I'm tackling right now is kind of the rule based. Uh, state-based, scoring-based approach, where we basically try to look at the board and try to come up with a formula that tells us if the state of the board is who is winning. Is it the, is it the white or the black? And w- when we try to look at the next possible move, we try to recompute that state and score and say, okay, is that move going to bring me a higher score than what I was at before? So it's kind of a scoring technique here that's used uh, in many, many games, try to evaluate the state of the game at that particular point in time and, and inspect the possibilities and try to see which one is going to make you move into the right direction. Okay, um, let's, let's, um, let, let's just, I want to inter- uh, just um, interrupt here for a second and ask a couple questions if, uh, if you guys don't mind. Um, first, um, what, 
what different types of AI, well, I guess one thing we should even mention, because I think a lot of our listeners, while they might be technical and be programmers and, you know, might even have advanced degrees in physics and math, they may still not know a whole lot about machine learning um, or AI, which are sort of synonymous these days. Um, so what are the, as you see the major branches, could you describe them to, to, to maybe to our listeners and to what you're looking at initially, what branch they fall under? Uh, okay. Yeah. The the first the first branch is really rule based. So you know, basically, uh, try to to look uh, at the mechanics of the board and capture of, of the of the pieces on 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 the board or even winning the game. And right now, the the engine that Justin has, the board engine, uh, is not uh, doesn't allow to pass the state from. Uh, a potential move being made to another, so we we basically have to rely on only be, being able to see what are the possible moves at that time. We can really just start to recurse into multiple moves to say, if I move that piece here, then what is available? Then after I move this this piece, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're really looking at a very narrow uh, lookup here, which is just the state of the board as it is and all the possible moves, and try to reevaluate. Um, what are the options for taking a piece, for example, or you know, getting the queen into all into the the goal or that kind of thing? So it's really just getting the basics. I mean, really, I'm building the the, the primitives uh, of the game here to try to to get some of the mechanics going. So where the AI will be able to say, hey, I can take that piece here now. Let me take it. Or no, are, are, you, are, are, are you looking at any other techniques or rules like such as um, you know uh, neural nets or evolutionary programming or Reinforcement learning, or any of these other sort of techniques. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one I described is just a rule base, which is the first right. step. The second step is like I, I describe. Uh, you know, if we can capture the game logs uh, mm-hmm. of multiple games, then we start to we look at statistical analysis and learning. So we can see if a move uh, was actually you know a, a wise move, or if that move leads always to a bad, <laughs> to a right. bad fate for the player. Uh, so that's one thing. And the machine learning. Actually, it's something I might be able to throw in rather quickly because there, uh, there was a, a library that was just released uh, a few what, like last week, Justin, right? Uh, in JavaScript regarding you know neural net, uh, at least uh, of a single layer uh, in JavaScript that might already allow you know, some type of statistical analysis of uh, of the game as we go along, uh, and you know we could. One thing oh. I was thinking about on that matter is actually uh, where even that first version of the AI might be able to actually learn the pattern of the opponent. Oh, you know, uh, actually, it's funny you bring that up. So when I saw that neural net, Java, uh, JavaScript neural net, I kind of was irritated because I had made, I had created my own uh, neural net JavaScript library about two years ago, and I never released it. <laughs> and so I have, I have like a few different, I re, I've written a number of machine learning algorithms in, in you know, variety of different languages. Like uh, I've had genetic algorithms library, genetic programming library for doing symbolic regression. I've done, I've written a, a complete a neural net with I think I think I use just a, a back uh, you know back propagation uh, neural net, but also you can use genetic algorithms to evolve the neural nets. Yes. So um, if you want, I can my, mine are not my neural net library is not constrained to single layer perceptron. I mean it can, it's a multi layer. Okay. and it can evolve them. So um, I mean I don't know if 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 a back prop will will work in this environment if you want to if evolving the uh, the um, neural nets is be more advantageous but you're welcome to play around with my uh, JavaScript library if you, if you want to that would be awesome uh, yeah I mean at this point like I said it's like a open field uh, yeah. to see you know what will be possible and not and you know again the 
I mean, really, truly, the, the silver bullet for that type of game will be probably the same as it is for chess or checkers, which is to use like a Nigamax algorithm or Minimax. If you're what, what's that? Uh, this is a, basically you, export, you explore the game tree. Uh, so every possible move, right? We, we look at you know, moving one piece and we, we explore if that piece is here, what are the moves? So we start to recurse basically in the moves ahead of time. So we try to look ahead, I don't know, maybe 10 moves ahead. And we try to then, you know, look at 10 moves ahead, where am I? Am I any better than I was 10 moves where I am right now? And you try to decide a branch of the game tree that's actually going to be the most beneficial to you and um, the most negative for you. So it's called mini-max. You try to maximize your profit by making the, the right decision. And at the same time, you try to minimize the profit of the opponent. Um, and so Negabax is, is another version of it which actually allows you to prune the game tree as you go along so you don't come up with gigantic um, structures with, again, you know, millions of possibilities and things to look at. So, but no, that, no, that algorithm, though, yeah, one second, that algorithm okay. does have, though, a big computer, computation requirement. That's why I'm not even attempting it yet. And your game engine, Justin, will not support that yet. So once it is supported at the game engine, we can give it, give it a shot and see what happens there. But uh, for many games, it's been the silver bullet. The one that's been programmed in many uh, little board. You know, I don't know if you remember the chess, uh, uh, the chess board. They were like in the 90s or electronic. Yeah. You could actually play by yourself. And I had several of those. And, you know, that, that was the kind of algorithm they had in there. And, you know, sometimes you wait 30 minutes for the, the microchip to actually compute that, you know, and look at all the possibilities. But, you know, allowed you to have quite an intelligent opponent uh, on the other side. No, I... Okay, now a lot of times you use as min max algorithms. You, you, what you need to do is you need to do give the board a score, right? Like, what's what? How am I going to score the the board by adding up the That's positions right. Right. of the opponent versus your positions? Like, okay, well, I'll, I'll rank this board between you know you know negative one and one or whatever your scaling mechanism is, and that way you can compare boards and say, well, I'm going to put myself in a position where the boards ha- or the or the range of possible boards, depending on my what my opponent does, are are, are the highest value, right? That's correct. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing actually right now. The, the, even the rule-based one, actually, I'm scoring the board. Even if I'm looking just one ahead, I'm scoring mm-hmm. it where I am right now and where I am after the movie is made. So that's just a basic thing here. And, and the scoring actually is actually quite interesting because you know, I'm taking into consideration a lot of properties of the game. And so here, um, for example, you know, range, like how mobile are the pieces of the opponent versus mine, or uh, the degrees of liberty, which I call freedom, which is like, you know, really each piece has six degrees of liberty um, in each direction on the board, and the more reduced they are, the more vulnerable they are, because it would be easy to just bring another piece close to it and just kill it. Uh, right. So, you know, there's things like that, so the range, the, the degree of mobility, if the piece is already outranked by uh, an opponent's piece, big factor here, because it means you just need to bring any piece in their vicinity to actually capture it. So, you know, I'm building some properties of, uh, on the, of the game and each piece, and then I have this, you know, pretty basic formula right now, but that formula can actually be changed to be, okay, I want to have an you know, AI is going to be more defensive versus offensive, depending on the weights you put on it. You, you were talking to me about uh, different personalities. That's right, yes. That would be uh, an example where the, the, the rule, uh, the, the weights you put on, you know, uh, are important. For example, if it's more important to get closer to the goal or one is going to be focusing more on blocking the queen, you can, influ- you can influence that formula that will return the score that will make it more going one way or another. And one thing you mentioned, Jason, that you know that specific scoring or rule can be evolved. That's a great thing about genetic algorithms because to me this is the ultimate goal. I mean I know we started to talk about rule-based and minimax uh, machine learning, but really the 
my goal here is to get through uh, through like evolutionary algorithms because I think this is the most fun to to work with. Yeah, um, yeah. And actually, like, it can actually bring some unique um, unique personalities of AI, unique gameplays, things that you have ne- would have never thought about. Uh, and you can combine all of those together. I mean, you can combine the, the scoring mechanism will have to be implemented anywhere any other ones. Any other algorithm is going to explore the board to see what state is better than another one. Um, but uh, you can evolve this formula. You can uh, evolve many parameters at the same time uh, and, and really uh, bring some challenging challenging stuff for the user. So, hey, Sebastian, so I have a couple reactions. One is not getting me all fired up about doing this. So I'd like to collaborate with you on some of this <laughs> if I get motivated. Okay. Um, if you want. I mean, not directly. I mean, you know, I know you, this is your, your thing you're working on, but um, I was looking, I was, while you were talking, I was kind of looking at my, my, you know, neural net JavaScript library, and I was like, oh, man, it'd be fun to break this thing out. And if, uh, you know, depending on how much time I have, I might, you know, once you get some stuff up and going and you, and you have some way of sort of um, batch running these simulations that, um, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, spending a little time on this. Anyway, I, I'm, you know, I find this stuff super exciting. And the only reason that I haven't been spending time on it is just because, um, you know, I'm, you know, I have a lot of consulting work, and then I have my one main project, App Ignite, that I'm working on, and I'm trying not to get too distracted from it. So, but at the same time, I've always had a, a major interest in, in artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, for a number of years. And like I said, I built a number of libraries and K nearest neighbor and genetic algorithms and the neural nets and all that stuff, but I never really had too much opportunity to really use the libraries and to really do much with them. Um, so, but this is when Justin first told me this was about Swarm. I think, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. But you're right. I mean, you know, when you look at the actual problem itself, it's it's crazy hard because of the combinatorical explosion of moves. And you know, as you as you describe, like the one one move look ahead, it's like a thousand possibilities. And then as soon as you go like two ply or three ply, I mean, you're just talking just a, a intractable number of uh, things. Sebastian, to- you were talking about the game being the AI uh, developing. Um, well, two things you said that I thought were interesting uh, during previous conversations. Number one was you said that like AI was the Formula One of um, of developing or, or game developing, and number two, you said that potentially theories from AI can apply to business. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us about those. Yes, I mean, if you look at the AI field, and you know, uh, a lot of the things that have been discovered have been really uh, geared. Uh, I would say, I've come from game theory, uh, and again. It's because this is a fun thing, I guess, for all the geeks that dig AI uh, to kind of challenge each other. Because, you know, if you're looking from a business perspective, there's not, you know, there's some business uh, um, process or, you know, where you have competitions in between. But really, you don't have, uh, you know, many, many platforms where you actually have to compete uh, from from a business world, I mean, unless you're thinking about you know bidding systems, I mean, eBay would be you know example trying to bid win an item. There could be a business model here to try to build an AI that would actually get used of the item you want the lowest price. Uh, but you know, all kind of things. There's not that competition. And really, to face an AI to another one, um, if you have a, a business algorithm that doesn't want to test classification, usually people don't want to share it. They don't want to compare it publicly how good it is. So the gaming platform is kind of like the 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 place where everybody says, okay, I'm going to come up with some great new algorithm and I'm going to apply all my theories to that and see if I can beat you. So every year you have, you know, AI chase tournament. You have, you know, all, all that kind of good stuff. And and one thing that was key to me was about, I think, a year and a half ago, uh, an article in New Yorker uh, 
was pointing out how the you know AI was starting to influence the games, and I think that's what's a great example here with Swarm. Like uh, uh, at the, I think it was in 2008, um, the the AI uh, chess tournament actually you know uh, showed that the AI was making moves that would have never been had never been thought by any humans before. And we're actually a brand new opening and a brand new thing to actually win. And you had like, you know, chess master from all over the world um, watching the game and saying, what? Why did, why did AI do that? And you're talking about AIs where they invested, you know, multi-million dollars uh, clusters, you know, that run, you know, one of them was actually in, in Saudi Arabia uh, by Prince financing the research at uh, that time. And, and so you have this supercomputer coming up with that move that just said, what, what did, why did they do that? And then five moves later, it wins the game. Everybody was just baffled. So uh, again, to me, it's like the, the AI algorithms and, and the capacity to explore, makes you explore the game even further. And even today, you will see that a lot of the uh, grandmasters uh, do train now equally between uh, AI, you know, like powerful AI against each other to kind of, you know, try some new tactics and new, new openings against an AI to see how it pans out before they actually go and try it against real players. Hey, Jeff, have you, um, there's two, two things I'd like to ask you about. One is, have you ever read the book Blondie24 about um, how they developed, or evolved a world-class checkers playing algorithm without any uh, expert knowledge? Have you ever heard of Heard of that? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. It's a great book, Blondie 24. I've mentioned it at least once or twice in this podcast over the past year. Um, it's by David Fogel, and he's a you know a PhD and his PhD in machine learning, and uh, he's has a has a company called uh, Natural Selection. I think it's based out of San Diego, and they do sort of um, consulting contracts for different types of machine learning. Mm-hmm. And this is talking about, I think, when he was, he, I think he was still like a postdoc or something, and how they just said, all right, well, let's just code up something that will be able to play checkers, and but we're not going to look at, you know, opening moves and closing moves and, you know, a database of, of, you know, what are the optimal solutions are. We're just going to have something evolve, and we're gonna evo- what we're going to do is we're going to use, they just kind of randomly picked out what they thought like a, was a structure for a, a, a neural net that was big enough to, had enough nodes to sort of have... The, capture the subtlety mm-hmm. of the game and then they just evolved the connections um, and they just let things run for weeks and weeks and what they did is they ended up put, went and going and playing online um, against competitors and the Blondie 24 was that was sort of like the screen name it was like you know some 24 year old uh, female was supposedly the character they had and it got really good. And one thing they said is that it, it sort of developed novel approaches that would do really strange things that worked. And a similar thing, have you ever, have you ever heard of uh, TD Gammon, which is a, uh, it was a world-class backgammon uh, program that was evolved using um, reinforcement learning and, and, and in particular uh, temporal difference learning by a game named, um, I think Tesaro was his name. And he's a, he was a researcher at uh, Bell Labs. And this was in the late 90s. And again, it, it, it evolved... Um, all of these very novel and sort of um, unorthodox strategies that it did influence the way backgammon is played at the highest levels, if our memory is correct. That's right. Yeah, I think there's many examples of this. I mean, the, the most recent one I, 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 I read was the one about chess and the way they actually changed quite a bit the landscape. Because usually before, the, the grandmaster, the, you know, the expert players were always able to say, yes, okay, you know, it made that move, and I can see why. And you know, but when he actually made moves, that actually baffles their learning and you know, lifelong expertise, right? In a particular game, you know, that that's kind of where you actually see a breakthrough coming through. You know, and even from 
my personal perspective here is that years ago I, you know, envisioned and you know maybe we'll come to fruition or not. But the the, the thing that I find quite disappointing about AI in general, even playing games, is that uh, you actually have to initially tell or you know code some kind of rules of how to play right mm -hmm. uh so that it can actually you know potentially evolve and you know come up with some kind of engine that's decent but really my my lifelong goal i would say from now if i look at you know 20 years from now i would love to see a universal gaming engine where really the ai would be watching and learning the rules of the game by playing just like a child would uh, yeah. and come up with the expertise based on that. And, and that's exactly what they did in Blondie 24. They, they, they literally just had the games play against the, they would, they'd have a population of, of uh, neural nets and they would play like a series of games against one another, a round robin and, and then they would take the best ones and they play against each other. So there was no input knowledge but they would literally evolve their own, their own expertise, like a child learning sort of a bootstrapping approach, which I thought was really interesting. And, and you're, you're right, I mean and that was sort of their idea, which was like can we get something with sort of no information, create information about a system? And but you're right, but take it to the next level where it can learn any the same engine can learn any game, and that's really ambitious, but it's really interesting. Um, so I have a I have a question for you. Um, you know, just to kind of step away from the uh, AI specifically is, um, so what's your back? Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's like have you been working in AI specifically, or is it just sort of like a side interest, or what's your what, what you know what have you been up to? Uh, well, I want to be up to lots of things. Uh, I mean, I uh, my role right now is to. Um, I serve as the lead um, developer and architect for a company, a web analytics company called Opinion Lab, mm -hmm. um, and I've been involved with them since uh, so early. Was that opinion Lab. Opinion Lab, yes. I've been involved with them uh, since um, mm -hmm. early 2000, uh, right after, uh, maybe a year or a year and a half after they uh, they got their funding. Uh, and uh, it's been a, a wild ride. I mean, I say most of my experience have been based on the, on, on working with them and creating uh, new ways to do lots of things. It's uh, it's been a very creative place, uh, a very passionate place, I would say, uh, where you know people really uh, try to uh, to put their passion into everything they do, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And actually, uh, you know, a part of what that company does, and I'll just give a small description here, uh, is you know that we this is a voice of customer company, so. Um, uh, we collect or they collect feedback from you know from users uh, all over the world uh, through you know various ways or actually funnels whether it's a web-based or whether it's from a mobile device or whether it's a kiosk, a kiosk uh, in, a, in a store uh, and um, and they try to report it basically to the to the businesses um, you know to to make to make it relevant and and you know about you know three or four years ago uh, after you know going through I will say the mechanics of how to set this up the best right we started to get into uh, things where people wanted to do more with the data they wanted to you know to learn you know the sentiment you know of of what the, all the comments and feedback they were getting, they wanted to uh, to detect the language. Uh, they wanted to try to see if we could classify, you know, in in specific topics or actions and route the feedback based on that. So I got involved in a lot, you know, at this point in a lot more AI, and uh, and this is where all that stuff, you know, started. Really, just get more, you know, acquainted with all type of algorithms. So you know, I've been on the other side, Jason. You wrote a lot of stuff. I've done a little bit. 
mm-hmm. uh, writing myself on, you know, again, uh, probably libraries and things like that. But really, mostly I've done a lot of exploration of all the different types of algorithm and what worked best. Right. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've really uh, had a lot of fun trying all of those out. And, you know, I'll say in terms of classification, um, we mentioned neural net, uh, you know, uh, one being one of them, uh, but really the one that I prefer myself is uh, the, the ver- uh, kernel vector machine. There, um, mm-hmm. they they have seen they have shown to me their power uh, in in terms uh, of a classification mechanism way beyond. Uh, what the neural networks can do, and, and can you just, describe it, that a little bit, just to, to yes, to and and, and basically, was well, the idea of that of um, kernel vector machines is actually pretty simple. It just means that you just throw a bunch of of data at it, and it's going to try to 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 separate each piece of data uh, in in a multidimensional way. So let's say you have a uh, a vector input of three dimension. You have three different properties, and you want to classify each of those uh, vectors, which are just have three properties, into I don't know, maybe just a two or three different class. Was well, going to try to project each of those uh, dimensions. So if we have three, it's going to try to project x, y, and z in each in two different planes, and try to find basically the median uh, separation point uh, of those vectors, uh, where you could say, hey, this if it's greater than this value. I'm very simplifying here, right? <laughs> how, does, how does that work with um, with <laughs> users' opinions? <laughs> um, well, because you know you can the the vector again. Where ve- vectors are just very generic. I mean, you you have to build the vectors from you know whatever you want, whether it's a gameplay or some text that you have to scan through. And you know the text again. If you take a piece of text, just so you take your the swarm game, you have to extract properties. That's the first thing you do in AI. So text you can start to extract. You know uh, stems of words are repeated often, or you can look at um, uh, bigrams, trigrams, or n-grams as we call, which are basically subsets of of the words, but only in in uh, with letters are next to each other. For example, the word uh, yes would have. Uh, Y-E or Y-E-S is a trigram and et cetera, et cetera. So you basically have always the extraction of information from the AI standpoint to transform into some kind of numerical uh, input for some kind of machine learning uh, mechanism, whether it's a neural net or KVM or, uh, uh, or uh, you know, um, evolutionary algorithm or anything else that you can just throw at it. Uh, you have to t- convert whatever you're trying to study here into uh, vectors, basically. And that's, that's the way it works. So, yes, I mean, it's, if you see yeah, well, tr- tr- how, do I tr- how do I transfer knowledge from dealing with text to actually dealing with a game, uh, it's really just the first phase that changes, really. I mean, dealing with text, we have me- mechanisms and algorithms that can extract some, uh, some knowledge and transfer it into you know, vectors. Uh, but after that, the, the rest is very similar. You know, you just have to a little bit of pre-process initially and post-process Someone, for the results. I've but. forgotten the name of it, but I remember I remember seeing a search engine that was made using that that technology. Support vector and, machines. Yeah, it was an in, it was an interesting search engine, and they they were you know trying to do the whole kind of Google thing. It wasn't cool, C U I L cool, but it was another one, and I do remember trying it, and it came up with some interesting results. Um, but the but the results weren't quite quite as uh, honed as Google. But I, I would imagine that you could take something like that and invest a lot of money into it and then make it better. <laughs> so so um, what kernel work, what, you're, you said you're using support vector machines, right? That's yes, the, yes. The, mm-hmm. what, uh, what libraries have you been using to, to play around uh, with? I've been using one called LibSVM. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a C-based library de- de- uh, developed by, I think, two Chinese uh, PhDs. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and they have bindings for pretty much every language you can imagine, and it's really fast. I mean, uh, something has been changing quite a bit in the in AI field, and then we're going to get more into the detailed implementation. But uh, there's been a couple of uh, SVM libraries released that actually now use the GPU capabilities that we all have you know, on our desktops. So, so and back up for anybody who doesn't know what GPUs are, it's 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 you know all our all our our, our um, graphics boards our graphics processors the gpu is the gra- is the graphics processor unit and i guess it was a term in, you know a number of maybe four or five years ago where people really the companies i think nvidia started messing around with this where you could offload your processing onto these graphics chips and and for certain types of calculations um they were way faster than using your cpu and i think i think it was nvidia even rather than just um being able to say harness the power of a graphics card they created their own specific cards which were like a, a card that you would sort uh, like a graphics card and it would do like it had like um, teraflop performance it was only like 700 bucks or something like that and that was like two years ago so it's probably way above, above that do you, are, you aware, right. are you aware of that we you know what those cards are called the um i can't um, the name it's is it's, me. it's not tes- tesla i can't yeah, that's right the tesla cards right and they're like it was like you know one or two teraflops and it's like you know 800 bucks or a thousand bucks that's right well the, the one thing that it, 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 it i mean again just to come back to what we we're talking about earlier regarding the ai and the game influence again this is a relation in the industry that okay we've been developing those graphic cards for 3d gaming right you know for just pushing the envelope in terms of you know a realistic factor when I play a game in 3D and uh, then I'll say oh my gosh we have actually you know a 128 microprocessor in there that can process information in parallel this is super powerful yeah. right. and so all those AI you know algorithms which have been you know so far done um, I would say on a supercomputer somewhere that would cost millions of dollars to run now you can really get for a couple of grand a machine that is possible to you know go like you said go over a teraflop easily and uh, you can have your own AI running, you know, on those graphic cards, uh, you know, those very complex algorithms. For SVM, for example, it's, I think the, the, the recent paper I read uh, at the end of 2009 was saying that the latest implementation they've tested was about five times faster than LibSVM. Uh, so you're, you're talking about, again, factors of uh, improvements of magnitude in terms of speed to be able to classify data uh, and, and learn. Because, you know, let's face it, machine learning for, I don't know if many people know about it, but machine learning, your the output of the machine learning algorithm is only as good as how much data and how good is your data that you throw any input. Because if there's noise or if you don't have enough data, you're going to get bad results. Right. And so that's one of the you know, main disadvantages of neural nets, in my opinion, is that when you start to go in multi-layers, you need tons of data to make sure that all those different layers are actually tuned properly. Otherwise, you're going to get some kind of crazy results if the, the data you throw it later on was not properly, was not in the data set that you were kind of uh, using to train your, your neural net. SVM doesn't have quite of that uh, flaw, in my opinion, but again, they all have their spot, right? They're their sweet spot for, for what you're doing, so... Right, and that's that's one of the I guess the what people who specialize in this area is figuring out which tool to use because you you know a neural net is not always your best solution or a genetic algorithm or or whatever it's sometimes it's a hybrid sometimes it's you know uh, one or the other sometimes it's just something custom I guess. Um, so would you use all would you use all three approaches in the same game or four approaches? Well, that that's one of the thing really you that's the fun part of it is to figure out uh, you know which one is going to work the best. Uh, initially, but you can also combine them. You can make them evolve. You know, you can really uh, have multiple agents that are kind of giving you an output, and based on you know different factors, you can say I can switch. You know, for example, a personality or one algorithm may be a better 
game opener than being a game closer. You know, you can find those things, and and this is what really the genetic algorithms methodology works best because once you have those basic AIs built, you can throw them in an environment, get them to compete against each other, and you see what happens. You know, which one comes out on on top, right? Which one actually won the most games and has the best uh, tuned engine for you know maybe all around. Uh, so you know that's that's really exciting. I think the really with to come back to swarm in itself, there is really a multitude of of, of options to to do. And one thing you and I talked about, Justin, that event, you know once we get off, over, I would say getting the primitive implemented in your code set, getting the game engine to uh, potentially you know be able to look at uh, multiple states ahead, or actually use just a board state to to return results. And also, uh, I will say the next cool thing to do would be to virtualize that game engine so it could be run uh, like on a Node.js instance so we could start to maybe open up the, the kind of an AI competition down the road. Uh, do you like that idea? Would you like, would you like other people to program AIs to play against your AI? Well, I, f- I think it would be a great, uh, the greatest way to, to, to look at uh, other options to see what algorithm, because the, the cool thing I like about the AI competition once we get to that step where we have, we know we have all the primitives implemented that will allow people to program. We know we have a game engine that runs on a platform like Node.js and we can provide different interface. I, I don't know if you guys have, have, have checked out or even played with a Facebook uh, game uh, services they have. You know, you can actually go and try to write your own AI against it. I've, mm. done, it, I've done a couple of, of them myself like uh, uh, that you can actually, you can actually use this, uh, the Frist interface that uh, Facebook developed. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it either, uh, which is, uh, again, a binary protocol uh, mixed with the RPC protocol together that is actually completely cross-platform. And that's what I like about it. If we actually get to that point, Justin, in where we have your game engine that can run on Node or anything else, we can open up uh, you know, an interface to basically with any language, and people can just start to you know to use it and try to come up with the best algorithm. Now, it doesn't mean it will be actually the one that, that could actually play, you know, or be implemented in the iPad because you know some of them might be very expensive and that might not even run um, uh, in, in JavaScript. But it will be a great explorative phase to say, hey, let's open up the uh, the floodgates here and say, you guys come up with the best algorithm. Uh, to to play, you know. Well, uh, you know what you could do is you could create divisions, right? Where like it's only uh, an algorithm is only given so many uh, seconds or so much uh, cycles to make a move. So it reminds me. Yeah, but me you of- know, I, I I I won't I won't go against that because I, I tried to participate in uh, uh, the uh, Tron. Uh, Google-sponsored uh, AI competition. It was in February of this year, right. and I really didn't have much time at that time. I was really overworked. But uh, the little I did was actually very. Uh, you know, they had this limit where you basically your your algorithm had to respond within one second, and they were running your program on their cloud. So you had you know you were running. The, everybody had the same processor usage and all that kind of good stuff. Right. But the issue is that when you do that, you actually you know puts a big big. Um, uh, leverage on, or no, I not leverage um, a big emphasis on, on being constrained on emphasis on languages that can run fast. So the one that were the top entries were C and C++. Sure. So, you know, because I tried, I tried actually in Node.js and I was able to get a few things, but you, 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 cannot, uh, you cannot compete on a, on a platform on that specific constraint. So I, I would say don't even look at that constraint from the, from the competition point of view. You know, just open up and say, okay, well, you might have up to a minute to respond, and, that's, you know, and that will be networked. So you know, there might be some delays here and there. Um, but you know, do it this way. You know, the, I like the Facebook approach where you just say, you know, okay, you have, a, you have an interface. You reply whenever you're ready, and we progress in the game. And um, 
and we see what happens. We really want to see, and again, here it's also about uh, building up a, a database of games that have been played, won or lost, right, for any AI. So we can start to look at, uh, at those games. And what I loved about the Tron uh, competition they did in February was that you could actually visualize your games once you were done. So like if you actually submitted your engine, I could see how my um, AI, how, what it did and how it lost or won against uh, another competitor. So I thought it was really interesting. And I think just we could actually do that with Swarm by um, capturing either just rendering it directly in JavaScript, the, the quick board uh, game, uh, or just, you know, getting a screencast of the actual each, each game that was, you know, highlighted that you would like to see and visualize of how you won or lost the games. So. We know what you could do is you could create a website where you could select, the, you could double click on a game and it would play, play it. Um, it would just walk through the game animating the moves That's and right. run it at whatever speed you want. So I want to see game 327 where this top AI beat this, you know, third ranked API and, you know, 12 moves. How that happen boom and watching like holy crap that was cool um that would be that would be pretty straightforward to do because you'd have a log of all the games you'd pull it off the server and then you just have a javascript you know engine that would just move you know your pieces around on your on your html page or whatever um one thing i want one thing i wanted to bring up this reminds me of um, a competition called robocop have you heard of robocop uh, the name sounds familiar what it is is it's is it, it was actually star um st the whole concept was started or co-founded by a friend of mine who's a um, PhD in uh, machine learning. He's an associate professor of machine learning at uh, UT Austin. And it started, I think, about 98, 99. And what it, was, what it is is a competition where you have robots playing soccer against other robots. And they had, like, four divisions. They had simulation, like a game like we're talking about. And then they had, like, small robots, medium-sized robots, and large robots that are literally playing soccer against each other. And uh, this friend of mine... Peter Stone, he um, he won the first three years. Like nobody could beat his algorithms. Like they just destroyed everybody. And he used, um, I think he was big into reinforcement learning. He used some reinforcement learning techniques. Um, but what they did is they would every year they'd have a big competition. It would be in a different city. It was like in Tokyo or London or wherever. And um, you know you'd have all these different divisions. Some people were robotics. Some were simulation. And you're right. They would replay the games. You could you, they would see on the live screen. You could watch the games play against each other. The simulation just like that. But you know what what you were saying, which is it sort of stimulates invention and collaboration and competition. It really pushes things forward because instead of like some um, you know you know sort of isolated researchers writing a paper, or oh, I tried this or I tried that, you have everybody going head to head trying things. And when one algorithm just cleans up and, and kills all these other algorithms, everybody has to, has access to the source code, and for the next year they can look and see what worked and what didn't, and everybody kind of builds on those techniques and, and on their own ideas. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, it's really it's a really it's a really cool way to innovate and, and, and push the, push the world forward. And um, actually, Peter Peter was a friend of mine. We went to um, school together and played soccer together. That's that's kind of how uh, I know him. And um, he uh, you know he's sort of like those guys who's just like obsessed with soccer and obsessed with machine learning. So I guess it makes sense that he started RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> but, actually, I, um, think, I, I think there was an article in the in the AI magazine uh, a few uh, like the end of last year. I might have read something. About that. Yeah, it, 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 it pops up about every year or so. I've seen stuff on TV about it. There was something on like Discovery Channel where they, you know, they had like a coverage of the RoboCop. And the first time I found it, I, found, I heard about it. I, I had I hadn't talked to Peter in a year or two, and I was looking at it was like Time Magazine or something, and they had this little blurb about how RoboCop. And I and I remember Peter talking when his PhD thesis was about using robotic soccer. 
a, as a platform for uh, you know AI um, development. And Peter is one of the smartest guys I have ever met, flat out. I mean, he is just brilliant. I, he, we were both math majors at U Chicago, and he was just unbelievable. And I knew before he finished it, I bet you, I bet you he beat everybody in the world. I bet you. And sure enough, I got down. Yep, yep, he won, scored 140 goals, zero scored against. I was like, yep, that's Peter. <laughs> He's a world beater, man. I mean, he'll beat everybody. And uh, so, is he still is he still winning? Uh, you know, I think he. I think he dominated for like a first few years, three or four years. But I think he, you know, as he got into his professorship, I think he had less time and, and everybody had access to all his ideas and all his algorithms. Right. And other teams were really, were building on those ideas. I think he, he wasn't really spending much time doing it after that. And I think not, but then I think, you know, cause he went and worked for Bell Labs for a couple of years. And then, um, I think after that, he, he took his professorship down in, uh, to UT Austin. And I think he started really getting a lot of his graduate students, uh, working on this problem, but they really started focusing on the robots, the actual, so you have this, it's not just about the AI anymore. It's a lot about, you know, actually controlling and manipulating robots, which is a whole nother set of problems because you're working with the engineers and, um, Anyway, I, I found all this stuff really fascinating. I, I'll try and get Peter on the show one of these days, and I might even I'll tell him about this podcast because I'm sure he might find it um, interesting. Um, hey, Jason, um, I have a question for Sebastian. Um, from Sebastian, from what you've seen so far, um, I, I'm kind of interested to know how Swarm compares uh, to chess or backgammon in terms of strategic depth. Do you think it has a similar kind of depth, or do you think it's 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 less of a deep game or more of a deep game? What would you sort of think from, from what you've seen? Because you kind of know the rules quite well now. It's really, really hard to say. Um, it's just, I mean, it's hard to answer at this point in time, I think. It's, uh, right. you know, I, I see, I see um, there's also some constraint on the board currently. You know, we have some, we have some dead squares there in terms of movement and think that, you know, you, you can't do specifically. And I think there's a ranking issue which... Right now, the ranking is only really three ranks, uh, right. and and you know that that I think that could be you know an interesting thing to see if it could evolve a little bit. I mean, like, again, I think it's from what I, when I played you know against myself, right? I have nothing better to do, right? To just uh, get the, work, <laughs> the the mechanics strategy. Or I know actually this morning I was playing against the the AI for just a couple of turns. Actually, ran without 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 getting any bugs. So I was happy, um, and. Uh, I think there is very high potential, and I think that's uh, th- that's what needs to be explored. I think the, that's why I, I come back to the concept. I think the AI uh, being done alongside with the game development and evolution, I think, is a great asset, and I think that will make the greatest white paper on AI ever. If you can actually see how the AI can actually influence the game uh, plays or game rules, and also one aspect I need to bring here uh, today to that podcast is. AI is always focused, or most algorithm is focused to win. And I think we could refactor or refocus that, that goal to be entertaining. I would love for players who are going to play against AI at the end of the game to say, was this entertaining? Or was this not hard enough? Or this too easy? Those kind of things. So you actually, instead of being a feedback loop based on did the AI win or not, I want to be able to, players to say that was a really fun game to play. So what would be what what could be so a fun evolving game? evolving the rules as opposed to just the, the, what are the best set of rules? You could almost be right. evolving that for so put different personalities. So you could have like you could play against the Joker, or you could play against the. Serious. Well, no, I was actually thinking. I, th- I think what he means is like you change the rules. Do we have it with dice, or do you have it this many? You know, drones can move this many um, or times, or you know, different different things like that. Right? You could actually evolve configurations based on and the feedback being the 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 fitness being essentially. How 
how people playing the game rank it in terms of how fun it was. Is that is that what you're thinking, Sebastian? That's right. Yeah. Instead, because you know you can still play a very uh, a very fun game and lose, or or the AI could lose and it was still a very fun game. So you know that's something. I think the the, the key here is to record the games that are going to be taking place and try to get some feedback from the users because we could really use you know because some players are going to say, I'll just give me the Hardest AI you have out there to see how smart I am, right? Some others are going to have a game in the, I don't know, in the train, and they just want some, you know, they have noise around and they can't really concentrate. They just want a fun game. Uh, you know, you could, because I know, uh, even like taking a, a, some ideas from chess, uh, let's say you could also put a time constraint where really there's only maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds to make a move, and you just play like that and, you know, and, and build an AI that's just, you know, made for that to be fun to play with. Well, you don't right. really have much time to think. You just have to get your move out of there or you lose, you know, or you lose some points, whatever it is. So I think there's lots of things to be explored, how the AI can actually play a, a role, not only to provide some added value to your game, Justin, but also, I think, to provide an added value to the players. I mean, that, that's one aspect of it, the fun factor. The other aspect that I started to, to look at, actually, yesterday was um, to see can the AI just learn the, the patterns of, of the player, so if you you know if you say okay I'm I'm you know uh, I'm user X I'm gonna play against you and if the the human baits the AI I don't know with the same kind of move or tricks a few times in a row well they're gonna top they're gonna try this for the fourth time and it's not gonna work uh, I think that also shows uh, kind of interesting play which is okay I'm not super smart AI but I'm gonna learn what you're gonna try to to pull at me here so over time I'm gonna actually adjust your gameplay and the user really has to think outside the box and try to break their own rules of what of the way they think they can win a game. So. Jason, don't you think it's just amazing that I could meet someone like Sebastian just by posting a tweet on Twitter? Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, like you, 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 that's, that's the whole, I guess that's one of the really important things about blogging and, and, and doing stuff is, is, is create, well, first of all, yeah, you got to put yourself out there and tell people what you're doing and thinking about and, and you'll find other people out there who, who find what you're doing or thinking is interesting and want to, you know, communicate or collaborate but part of it is of course not just communicating but actually doing something interesting you know because a lot of people are out there just you know talking nonsense and not and just and not adding really anything to discussion you actually spent time creating something that was interesting i mean you put a lot of effort into swarm over the years so um you know i think that's just a good lesson though but you're right if you if you build something cool but you don't share it with the world there's not much happens i mean what happens what you have to do is if you do create something cool you have to spend some time like what you've done which is actually creating a product or something or creating an open source project and trying to build a community and blogging about it tweeting about it cuz you've got to be as i've mentioned to you a couple of times you got to be the johnny appleseed of swarm you know well i'm the first, i'm basically like the crazy person and sebastian's the first follower kind of thing i guess so <laughs> but that's right that's great you know it's kind of interesting uh, just a little off topic but yesterday um uh cause uh, who i've met who've talked about on the a podcast a couple times as being sort of my um you know crazy genius friend uh who i, I also knew from school from college and uh ken who's a friend of ours who we do our tech lunch with every you know uh, on saturdays um who's he's a He's also a listener to the show, and um, he's been involved in high-frequency trading for a number of years. And, well, it turns out the high-frequency trading venture that he's been working on for five or six years or whatever it is, it's, it's, it hasn't worked out. And he's having to leave it behind and, and take a job up in Palo Alto. And it's going to be moving in a couple of days. And Kaz, who's also been doing the high-frequency trading thing for a number of years, his situation has also come to an end. He has not been successful recently. And so I had told those guys a number of times, you guys need to get out and talk. Before you're both your things end, you need to come out and sort of like maybe share some ideas because I think you each complement each other in what you have 
have and what you're lacking. And yeah. finally, at the last minute, you know, Kaz flew out to here to Pasadena from Chicago, and they're sitting in my office here, and we're kind of doing this sort of like dual sort of debriefing <laughs> exit interview like you know all right ken what you know what were you guys doing what worked and what what do you think wasn't working what were you lacking and caused it the same thing and it was really interesting and then i was sharing because i also did a bunch of some work on high frequency training and you know did some you know some ai stuff and was talking about some of my ideas for some strategies and from a use of ai to improve some of the some of, some of the stuff and we're like you know if we had worked together as a group we would have been way more successful because it was obvious that what Ken was doing, their technology and infrastructure for, um, you know, simulating algorithms and in, in their data, their pre-processing and their, you know, validation of methods was, was super sophisticated. Whereas, um, cause didn't have any of that kind of infrastructure but it was purely very fast manual um, manipulation of, of algorithms that was really good and he had a lot of insight as a trader and I had done a lot of exploration to the, the mach- applying machine learning to some of these techniques and if it's like the three of us had worked together we probably would have been successful but because everybody was sort of like off doing their own thing and was proprietary for their own reasons it, it things didn't succeed and I think that's an example that serves as a good uh, sort of warning or or, or or maybe an encouragement for like say swarm which is that you get people collaborating through competitions or writing write papers together or whatever because you can push things forward and if you stay isolated by yourself and you don't share and you don't talk nothing moves forward and that's i guess you know and, and one last thing is that's that's why academia works that way right you have to publish you have to share you got to go to conferences you got to talk to people even if you want to protect your stuff you know you still have to share because it's just not going to work nothing's going to seems work. it seems ironic that that through computers playing each other that could possibly be the way that swarm gets out to the world and becomes you know a known about game rather than through people playing each other which is kind of interesting i'd never really considered when i when i was making swarm i mean i just wanted to make a board game you know the whole computer aspect of it didn't even occur to me until the ipad well i mean it occurred to me to just make it so that i could play it on the computer which i did like i don't know three years ago but i i wasn't thinking of releasing it as a computer game it was just so that i could play around and work out the game mechanics um, but then obviously I just created the actual board of it and I just played other people with the board. But now, since it's gone on the iPad and since it's gone down this AI route, it's, it's very interesting. And, and the whole yeah, well, you, you just never know what's going what's gonna to light the fire. You, know, you, you, you try and get a bunch of sparks going and it, it may be that you know, doing some of the AI stuff, you need an AI so that people can play against it. People can you know, play on their own when they feel like it. But the whole AI competition and stuff that might get a whole bunch of people interested purely for the challenge of building AI, but all those kinds of people who, who like building AIs for this kinds of thing or find it interesting would probably find playing the game interesting in and of itself, and that creates a whole other sort of channel for it. And I think you're right, but yeah, so for, for doing this, which is what you know, Sebastian is advocating is, yeah, you got to get this thing sort of built in a way that it can be run without the actual visual board that can run sort of in, um, you know, just purely server side. And, and, and you need to sort of build a community around, you know, a competition or something like that. And that'll take a little time, but... Another kind of interesting thing about Swarm, which is kind of different to chess or backgammon, is that just by the nature of it, that it's it's ultimately you win on points mm-hmm. you you could in fact have a hundred people playing on the same board you could have a very big board with a hundred people playing via a network and everyone's playing at the same time or being pub, like we said using pub sub using you pub, know pub over nub, the web. yeah pub nub i'm sorry pub nub not 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 on a network but um 
you know, which is something I was telling the guys at PubNub, I'm like, you guys need, if you guys want to get your technology out there and people see how powerful it is, create some massively multiplayer web-based, you know, sometime real-time strategy game or something so people can see how this stuff works and, you know, would actually use as opposed to some of these sort of like cute little like, hey, we're all drawing on a board together. I'm like, you know, everybody's seen that. But Sebastian, you were, you had a look at the pub nub, but you were also talking about some other technologies for for streaming. What, what could tell us about some of those? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, PubNub looked, looked really good for that. I mean, I don't know for the for the. It looks like it's very geared towards the platform um, as far as mobile, right? To to, to have low latency, you know, uh, and, and be able to collect data this way. Um, I think there's other protocols that could be used, you know, to to dialogue, uh, you know, to be a bit more compact. But again, I, I haven't looked in detail at, at PubNub to see how you know how compact it is and if it really can be just you know reused as well uh, for for something else. I mean, I like the. Uh, the, the free thing to say from Facebook or the, the Google buff, protocol buffers, uh, they're you know they're very very compacted on both ends and you know binary format, so you don't have to you know transferring just text you know when you have large amounts of data. But in the case of gaming, usually we look at if both sides have um, some portion of the. Uh, the game engine or enough helpers to 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 get them to understand what could be the possible next moves. I mean, really, in in the case of Swarm, you just have to transfer the board state, which is where the pieces are and the the points, and whose turn is it? And you know, you're pretty much done. That's pretty much it. The rest, the the a minimum game engine on on each side would would do it. Um, so and then, and then you just and then you all I really have to send is the diff of the board game, which exactly yeah, just a move. You got just like chess, right? You just if you look at get, uh, chess notation, you just have one move here, and you know where where the actually you know what actually we done one move because one turn could actually be up to six or twelve move depending on the mode you, you play with. But so it could be a series of, of moves. But still, it's it's very small. So we're not talking about transferring large amounts of data. Uh, back and forth, uh, you know, for that multiplayer. But I like the fact of, you know, with the once we reach a state where the AI can be kind of open into a competition, I think there's many, many opportunities here just into uh, to reach out, to have, uh, to really challenge the players with different layouts of the board, uh, different starting pieces, because really that's what's going to be really interesting, see which AI is the most... Uh, it's the best on separate boards because people can actually hard code or you know try to put a lot of databases work or you know uh, do a lot of learning in the background and come up with a bunch of rules for that specific board. But how well it is across all the boards, right? It is something. That- do you think we could also have like an ELU rating like they do in chess? Yeah, for the, for the players and the AIs. Yes, I mean that's something I thought about when you when you mentioned getting the AI in the game. I would love to see that you know if we evolve the AI enough in the game, where if you're buying Swarm the on your iPad and playing for a while, after I don't know after you beat you know certain level of the AI in certain number of times, you kind of you know get up in rank, and maybe you unlock some features in the game or you know something that keeps you actually for play for you know playing in a kind of a tournament or journey mode, right? Uh, where the user actually gets uh, to unlock some new boards or new features, or even like I don't know if you got that thought about the fantasy type gaming, right? Where you unlock some kind of crazy moves, where you know suddenly on that board, you know all the pieces can move as much as they can, you know, or whatever it right, is. Right, right. I, I heard that I heard that in in Korea that that um, they've got an, an issue with um, gaming addiction, and from the studies that they've done, they found out that one of the most addicting factors is. Is that uh, as you as you move on, you you earn more and more points, and the actions that you do earn more points, and that just makes the game incredibly addictive. And so, so what they're suggesting is is to kind of try and uh, force game manufacturers to reduce those level of points. 
But I was thinking that that same research would be kind of useful for Swarm because maybe, maybe you want it to more be more addictive. I mean, if you look at Farmville, for example, I mean, it's just perfect example. You know, there's really no point on playing the game except that you're just kind of going up, getting more points and locking more features. It's just work. It's just work. Exactly, it's, exactly. So, but like it's the same as working in a, in a, I don't know, like a government office. <laughs> That's right. So, but I think it's interesting with Swarm because you could really even, I mean, especially once we get, I mean, there's an AI competition, I mean, but even once we have the multi-game engine uh, or network game engine set up for Swarm, then you can start to say, you know, if you, if you go up levels, you can, you can start to go in different leagues of players that have graduated to those levels. So you can start to have more interaction with other players of the same level as you, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think there's lots of opportunities. Like I said, the, I think the game in itself, uh, Justin, is, is, really, is really great, great starting point. And there's just lots of potential to be unlocked here, you know, in the years to come. So, Thank you. Where are you uh, located? I am located in Auburn, Alabama. Whoa, really? Well, right now, okay, so you're obviously French, right? <laughs> yes, I, I, I think yes. I'm right on the accent. We we have a French theme going on. We like we we keep on getting. We have a couple of French listeners, and uh, now now you. So, texting is getting very French. That's, That's right, right, but I don't have the classical French accent. I somehow managed to get a southern <laughs> American <laughs> French a little, accent. A little drawl to your uh, to your French. <laughs> Where, you know, what brought you to Auburn? Is that because uh, there's a space industry? Well, that's in um, where in Huntsville. 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 That's right. But yes. yes. Well, what brought me to Auburn essentially is uh, is my wife's family. So you know, we you say I'm French. My family is in you know in France mostly, and uh, you know uh, it's it's kind of easier to be closer to at least you know one part of your family. We found out. So, yeah. uh, and I actually initially fin- uh, actually worked at the university uh, locally here. I was the IT director uh, for the College of Architecture for a while. Then I I went freelance and got involved with OPN Lab as a startup. Uh, so that's kind of my pattern. And you know what I found out too is that, you know, I see so many blog articles, you know, every year coming out about how location is what's going to make your life a success, right? For, especially right. for developers. And, and I'll tell you, this is, this is not true. It, you know, it depends on your personality and what you want to do. But I will say for uh, my, my day-to-day work deals with people all across the globe. Yeah. I work with developers with all across the globe. And you know what makes a difference is your passion. It's not where you're located. It's your passion because passion is, uh, can spread very quickly with the people you work with. It doesn't matter how far you are. If you can spread your passion and get people ramped up to do something awesome. Uh, and, and that's really what matters here. So, you know, the location is great. I mean, I, you know, I, I know I consider many times moving, but you know what, it's, uh, it's, it's a small you know, university town. You know, it's, I have this charm, right? It's not a huge city. And I do, uh, most of the time, I'm actually, uh, I actually relocate for the summers uh, in Montreal, so, which is, again, my, uh, the city I really enjoy uh, spending time with. We have a lot of friends over there. So kind of a mix between the French and the English, right? Well, hey, I live in Los Angeles, and my... Um my my job, my day job is in New Hampshire, so I know exactly what you mean. It's like yeah. just just remote working. All the people I work with live in different states or countries, um, and I don't think it makes a huge difference. I guess if you're trying to raise VC capital, it is helpful to live in the in the, in the you know the Bay Area. But if you're actually, I mean, if you're not raising capital, you're bootstrapping or collaborating on open source projects, or you're just building stuff or you're consulting. I don't think it matters where you are. It really is well, about in your. In fact, it, it's better not to be in the Bay Area because the cost of living is so freaking expensive. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I see. I don't know if you gotta follow the. 
some of the patterns I've seen in many U.S. cities is that, um, you know, even like a city that's close close to me, Atlanta, you know, a huge actually, you know, boost in the last few years in terms of startup money and tech community is happening, I think, all across the world in, in the U.S. in particular. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think the Silicon Valley, a lot of companies have moved out there because of cost. I know there's a lot of still incubation going on down there, but I don't think it's the only place where you can be successful. A lot of companies are very successful today. They did not start in the Silicon Valley. Uh, And so, you know, I think people have to stop focusing on that. You know, and on the other hand, I hate to say, but from the quality of living um, is also a factor that, you know, if I'm living in a community where everybody on my street is a developer, I mean, it's pretty narrow-minded, I hate to say, but, you know. Yeah, well, I felt felt the same way. You know, a friend of mine, uh, Travis Kalanick, who's an angel investor who wanted me to get on this show, would always joke with me and ask me when I'm going to move to – you know, the Bay Area. And I just, and my response was always, I felt like it's cliche to be like a startup tech guy in, and in San Francisco is like being a, you know, a guy with a screenplay or an actor in LA. It's like, yeah, <laughs> so is everybody, right? Get in line. I mean, nobody cares. And right. At least if you're, you're off on your own, you're not, you know, <laughs> you know, just. Yeah, but we're in LA and, and like everyone's actors and we're, we're developers and startup guys. What does it matter to you? You never get outside <laughs> meet anybody anyway. Oh yes, I do. I've started. I've started. You know what? I go to the gym every day now. Now for the last two weeks. So this is a recent development. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have. We actually created our own little tech lunch, which I think was Justin was the one who really wanted to do it because you were feeling kind of isolated sitting in your house there in Glendale, right? You, yeah, so now for what we, we've been doing is Mark, who I've talked about on the podcast a couple of times, who I've been working with on this iPhone app. He's a good friend of mine, and. Uh, and uh, Ken, who I've just mentioned, who's the, doing the high-frequency trading stuff, and Justin, we would do this every Saturday. We'd get together and uh, grab lunch and talk about all this kind of stuff. And it was funny because the podcast served as sort of a center of gravity for everything because everybody, everybody listened to it. And so it kind of was like a series of topics that people were, we were kind of using as a, a starting point. Right, Justin? Yeah. Like we talk about Swarm or we talk about this or that. And well, we're having our last tech lunch today, aren't we? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, last one for Ken because Ken, Ken took a job with a company called Kaching up in Palo Alto and is leaving on Monday. So today's our last day with him. But I'm bringing in two friends of mine who happen to be in town, Kaz, who's here, and Phil, who's, a, who's the guy, a really good friend of mine who I co-founded my first um, – company with out of college and he's in town for the summer um so we'll have a extra big tech lunch but what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna need to find uh somebody to take ken's place so what we need to do is we'll call it if there's anybody listening to this podcast who lives sort of in the la area um and who uh, would mind grabbing lunch yeah we need to we need to get we need to at least we need <laughs> to increase it by one up. or one or two people but well, the other thing we could do is we could have we could have Sebastian uh, via video. Well, yeah, it's just funny. I was telling because Guyon, I, I told Sandy walked into my office, you know, or when uh, today are also I guess we better known as the Bat Cave, my home office, and uh, and Ken and um, Cos were in here, and we were talking about this, like I said, this high frequency trading stuff. And she's like, "Well, if you guys are gonna have your tech lunch tomorrow, you need to get Guyon because Guyon was actually I was working with Guyon at the same time. She so get him on speakerphone on like your iPad." <laughs> talk. So he'll be like, he'll be like in Charlie's Angels, you have that box kind of talking. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, actually, what's interesting with, with you with you two here, Justin and Jason, that the kind of conversation we're having here is actually very similar to the conversation I have actually on a weekly basis with a lot of developers I work with, mm-hmm. where we kind of try to take, you know, 30 minutes an hour just to brainstorm with the new stuff we read in the news, new upcoming technologies, and what we can leverage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, 
you know, I think the, the the key here to success is to communicating well with you know with your peers and like you said, Jason, broadcasting yourself, right? Build your personal brand, get stuff out of what you're working on, and I think everything just falls in place after that. You grab. Do you, you blog, have, Sebastian? Actually, I, I tried. Uh, <laughs> I should say I tried about a year and a half ago, and um, I just went through a, a, a really high growth. Uh, uh, I would say uh, period here with the PL lab and it's it's been crazy and and uh, and finally I'm getting to catch my breath here you know over the summer a little bit uh, on a lot of things so that's why you know I, I volunteer to to help you out here uh, with uh, with swarm and I'm I just agreed my blog last weekend uh, to WordPress 3.0 I'm going to try to to get that one back and rolling to actually publish or post all of the work I, I'm going to be doing for swarm uh, so it'll be more well, more well, mechanics see, and details. So. Well, see, now with places like Hacker News that are really tech-centered, I mean, like, if you write a really cool art- series of articles on, say, developing AI for Swarm or anything that's really interesting, you can get traction. You know, it's not like, it, it seems like it's fairly easy if you write great stuff to get traction. I mean, I've seen over the year, last year or so, like, certain people who weren't blogging at all or, or really writing about much anything are stars on Hacker News, and because of that, have a ton of readers. Like that guy who did DuckDuckGo, that Weinberg guy. Have you seen right, him? right. And I think a good idea, Sebastian, is that when you do create a blog, if you put a picture of yourself on it, because we've, Jason and myself have this theory that people who have pictures of themselves on the blog uh, cr- create more of a personal feeling between themselves and the readers and Absolutely. more brand loyalty. That's right, were. that's right. Actually, you know, I've been waiting because my wife is a photographer, so I, I've been waiting for her to take a good shot of me so I can post it on there. So Yeah, just oh, so we so have do, to do that. Let me guess, you've been waiting like five years for one good shot. <laughs> uh, no, not that long. No, I, no that's right. Uh, since I have my blog, I've been asking her, but it's, it's, it's always difficult. You know, when you're, when you're not a paying customer, it's always difficult, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, you know, we, Justin, we've, we, we've, we need to do that for uh, uh, this, for TechZing or whatever, right? We need to have yeah, like do. a, you know, we need to put our pictures up and so people actually can see who they're talking, who they're listening to. Well, when I get, when I get my new iPhone, uh, it's got a camera and I'll take some pictures of us. Okay. Um, cool. But yeah, I, I think that's, I think anyway, the, the point is, obviously, is that, right, you, you, you got to, you, you got to do cool, interesting stuff that people care about or find interesting, and then you got to talk about it. You can't do one, one, one talking about nothing or talking about the same thing everybody else is talking about or doing your stuff and not communicating is not going to be enough. you got to create that dialogue, but you're right. And then you can live anywhere you want in the world, and you can create sort of you know, a collaboration with, with, every, with everyone because you know, even the people in San Francisco, I mean, it's, I mean, how many people, they're working all day, but they're probably just talking to people in their office most of the time, right? I mean, it's not like they're interacting with everybody who happens to be within a 10-mile radius. Yeah, plus I think the technologies have come to a point where I don't know if you guys, I mean, I, I use Yammer a lot um, mm. internally, and I think that just creates kind of like the water cooler of the company. Mm. Uh, you know, we can have some chat on there of reactions to you know, what's happening. So I think there's, you know, I, I feel very fortunate, you know, because I do what I love to do every day, and the technology is here to support my lifestyle, which is healthy for me. So it's, um, you know, uh, it's, it's a great time to be, uh, to be a developer and, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, I think. So, um, Wait, the, you, you know what they, what they, what they, oh, go on, go on to that. I'll, I'll actually have some follow up on that. Well, the, the next thing I wanted to mention here as well is um, regarding Swarm. I just want to, we can talk about uh, more about the, the topic of uh, living anywhere. But the, the thing I wanted to mention is that I'm going to be at the AAAI 
10 uh, conference uh, in Atlanta that actually starts uh, tomorrow, which is the International Artificial Intelligence Conference uh, that cool. happens once a year. And it's in Atlanta this year, so very convenient. And uh, I'm going to be attending. So if anybody on that podcast uh, is going to be attending and wants to demo of, of Swarm uh, on my laptop or see what how far I got on the AI, just please uh, uh, contact. I don't know how you guys pass the contact information here, but... Um, uh, just let me know. Uh, I am yeah, on we'll Twitter. Put, we'll, put, we'll put a link in the show description to. Okay. Uh, I better get this show edited faster than normal. Then. Yeah, we we'll get it <laughs> out today. Um, yeah. I, what's what does that conference stand? What does that acronym stand for? Oh, it's. I think it's. I'm. Artificial art intelligence, no, what is it? American Advancement for Artificial Intelligence. I can't remember. I never remember. I always type it wrong on, in, when I try to get to that site. Right. Uh, but it's a, it's a major association about AI that, you know, I really advise everybody to join. It's about 100 bucks to join. And it's, uh, you know, it gives you uh, access to, you know, mailing lists. Uh, there's, you know, about, I will say, you know, 10, 12. AI conferences every year in various locations. And, you know, some are actually more geared towards specific topics. This one is like the generic one where you have everything under the sun. So, you know, major talks from major players, but also, uh, you know, different tracks from game theory to classification uh, to text analysis and, you know, everything, you know, the web and AI I mean, all those things, which is really, really exciting to, to see the latest of the greatest. Well, on the website, they have a thing called general game playing competition and they also have the computer poker Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they also have competitions during. Yeah, that's right. After after the, the the day, you know, they have competitions. You know, I know they have various ones. They have the poker competition again this year. They have, uh, they have actually last year they had some kind of a, uh, not a drone, but com- some kind of a go kart type competition driven by AI. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a, a generic, uh, you know, yearly uh, event that to everybody anybody that's interested in AI just attends. And for me, it's the first year actually. So I've been a, a member for a few years, but um, I never actually attended. So I. I'll be, I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what they think about Swarm and, and your work on Swarm. That's going to be really exciting to hear. I think so too. Yeah. Where, where are they holding it in Atlanta? Um, it's one of the hotels. Uh, by it's, not the, a, it's not at like Georgia Tech or Emory University? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's like a huge hotel by the, all the you know, CNN and the Georgia Aquarium and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, I'm actually uh, from Atlanta. So I, I grew up there. I, oh, I, you're I, from Atlanta. Okay, all yeah, right. I, I, well, I live in Pasadena, California now. I... Um, I grew up there until I went to school in Chicago, so I haven't been back in quite a while. But that's uh, interesting that it's in Atlanta. Um, I've, I'm trying to I'm trying to look on the website to see if Peter Stone is going to be given a talk there or something. You know, he's he's done some pretty big stuff. As I say, you should say hi to him. <laughs> he's well, you know, I, I printed the program. It's like 25 page long, and I have to decide which which one to attend. And it's you know very difficult because there's all kind of thing I'm interested in. And the good news is that you know they actually as a if you're attending, you get a complete CD with all the presentations on it. So if you miss a couple, you can review them later on the papers, all that kind of good stuff. So right, right. That's uh, well, that's really interesting. Hey, have you heard of the? You know, there's a new website called Meta Optimize, called forward slash GA. It's like a Stack Overflow, but it's for um, let's see. It's it says a community of data geeks interested in machine learning, natural language processing, artificial intelligence, text analysis, information retrieval, search data mining, statistical modeling, and data visual, visualization, as well as adjacent topics. Um, and so you could easily post. So if anybody is doing any type of AI stuff and they get a little lost or confused because you know this is a very sophisticated field, there's a lot of advanced math and a lot of you know I think you know subtle techniques and stuff. And in, in having a, a, a site like this to ask questions is probably really useful. Say the address again. It's, it's metaoptimize.com forward slash GA. I don't think, if you go to the 
root. Well, they have different things. Yes, they have community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go to QA. It's the first link on the on the blog. But that's right. Um, and uh, I, I, I found out because it popped up on Hacker News earlier this week, and they said, that I guess there was something similar called Meta Area 51 or something, which is more just machine learning only. And the big debate was, well, there's so many sort of related areas like statistical analysis and nonlinear programming and things like that, yep. that all this stuff should be together because these, these fields need to cross-pollinate. People need to share ideas and techniques um, as opposed to just isolating themselves. Like, well, we're a machine learning group or we're the statistical statistics group or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's that, that. That could be a useful thing for uh, Swarm. So, like, you know, you, you could probably recruit from that area, right? If you start asking some questions about Swarm or posting some stuff on there, you know, people people who are in this field, you know, are interested in like AI, cool AI competitions or novel AI problems, would see Swarm as a sort of a fertile ground. So the key is once once Justin, you're able to maybe get something online, a sort of a general way that anybody can get the engine, experiment with it, and maybe test against stuff. You could probably seed some growth there now it's metaoptimized.com slash qa that's right did i say you said, QA? G- oh, I said, GA. said ga yeah qa sorry um and uh <laughs> that's yeah that's right and we'll put a link to it on the show as well yeah um so listen um i think i, I actually kind of have to go quite soon just to let you guys know because okay. uh, i've got a call from someone who's going to be coming over and staying at the house today i have one more uh, question like to yeah, bring up yeah, like two, two quick ones, sort of general, um, which I'd be finding interesting. So one of the reasons that I, you know, um, Sebastian, that I didn't really take this on, even though I kept promising Justin I was <laughs> going to do this, is that I just felt like, you know, I didn't want to dilute my efforts because my, my main project other than, you know, consulting work is, is Apignite, um, which I've been working on for the past year. And I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't want to dilute my efforts. But at the same time, you know, when, when, when Justin was telling me you're working on this, I'm like, damn, you know, I missed an opportunity. I should have done this, but, you know, somebody needs to do it. So I'm glad you're doing it. But, I mean, how do you feel about the idea of, like, working on multiple projects at one time and how many you should work on before you, like, say, you miss opportunities because you you refuse to work on more than one, but if you work on too many, then you're diluted and you get nothing done? Well, that's a great, great question. I don't think I have a great answer for that one. Um, you know, I think it's an eternal um, dilemma that all the developers or entrepreneurs have that, you know, you see something come through and you say, oh, I want to work on it right away. And you get a lot of momentum. And I tend to be that way that, you know, when I really I get really passionate and, and try to get something out, you know, done quickly to kind of satisfy, satisfy my hunger for it. Um, so that's, that's something I've been doing for a long, long time. If I see something that I think is really challenging and, and fun to work on, uh, I try to get to the bottom of it. I think the issue is that for projects is that you know with a lifetime for the lifespan of the project you you have to be able to follow up once you're done with that first phase of you know satisfying your hunger for it or getting the problem solved or getting something going to actually you know take it to the to the goalpost which is often you know very far away uh, to get a complete set you know also i talk about this with developers often to say you know it's not just a matter of getting it to work it's building the entire framework to make sure okay you know let's review the code is it is it you know is it clear is it going to perform properly uh, let's write some tests for it let's just you know so you have this entire uh, workflow and here for example with the work i've been doing for the just uh, the past week here and you know, when, when i can find uh, some free time is um 
it's really rewarding because it's just progressing fast and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. But I know that once I reach that line of okay, I got a basic thing out there, then I have to follow up on all those other tasks. Which is okay. I need to blog about it. I need to uh, get a version to just into test, and you know, and we need to you know build that engine for the competition, all that kind of all the stuff that needs to follow up on that. But I think that. The, pe- the people that are the most successful su- successful are the ones that actually that don't, that kind of stay the course, right? That uh-huh. just keep on their project and just, you know, ignore, uh, you know, distractions. Uh, however, you have to be able to, to decide, you know, to, you have to kind of evaluate, is it a really a distraction or is it just something that could actually help me with what I'm doing or even just right. make obsolete what I'm doing, right? Um, and so that that's really the the issue here uh, to always try to evaluate, you know, and try to because sometimes what you're working on, you know, say, well, you know, I, I put all that work into it, and uh, but at the end of the day, that other thing here is, you know, is a lot better. An you know, example that I did build a, a complete classification engine uh, for PNLive three or four years ago, which mm-hmm. you know ended up. You know, great presentation, results, all that good stuff. And yeah, that's great. Six months later, you know, we bought a, a commercial solution. Yeah. We didn't, we, we didn't implement it. But yeah, that was a call because it was actually probably better off for support. All that kind of, all the things that come along with it, right? Because every time you, you come up with something, you need to think about what happens afterwards, right? You have to support yes. that baby, that new product. You have to, you know, document it. You have to tweak it. You have to, and just in your, probably just getting into it, right? You just laid your baby out here with Swarm. And, um, and as you move forward, you know, you have this whole cycle that needs to take place that's going to be eating up a lot more time than you thought and can be actually eating, all the, eating up a lot of the fun you, you initially had with it. So it's always a matter of managing this, you know, for the whole entire lifespan of the project you're dedicating yourself to. So well, it's like, that, that is it, a great answer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say, you know, it's like, you know, once you finish the first 90%, then you get to start on the next 90%, right? So it's like, you know, then Swarm is a is, is perfect example, right? You got a version out there. You got a nice iPad version. Congratulations. It's awesome. Now you got to build a community. Now you got to facilitate, you know, building, whether it's an AI competition, all this stuff, because if you do these things, you keep pushing on it. I mean, it's like you don't have to spend 100 hours a week on it, but you just every week every day spend a little time building community blogging you know building infrastructure for the community whatever that's going to help that's going to make all the difference otherwise it could it could you know like a lot of these ideas that you see people launch on hacker news they kind of stillbirth because people are in love with building and creating but they don't want to do all the other stuff that it's required to create sort of either a business or a or a movement or a whatever well i must say it feels great to have someone like sebastian to work with because with with my previous venture plugio i mean the the closest I've come to working with someone is is talking about it um, with Jason on this show. Um, so actually having another coder to work with and bounce ideas off really does lighten the load. And I think you've you've had that with Guyon, you know, for your project. Yeah, it makes a difference having having just having one other person who has some kind of skin in the game. I mean, even if you're still the primary person, I mean, it's still primary your responsibility. If there are other people injecting energy and enthusiasm and some work into it, it can make a big difference. Um, and and one, one, one last sort of uh, issue I just want to bring up, and we can cover this one real fast because I know you got to go, Justin, is um, is the idea of, uh, you know, I was funny because I was, last this past the holiday weekend, we were visiting Sandy's uh, parents in uh, in Vegas. And, you know, I was, I kept like, you know, taking a couple hours here and there and going and, and working on Epic Night. And Sandy was like, she walked in and sat down. She's like, so are you going to work all weekend? And I was like, well, I was like, well, here's the deal. I mean, A, I mean, there's only so much of just hanging out I can do. 
you know, I can play with the kids for a while and I can watch a little bit of the game or whatever and hang out and talk, but I can't just, I need, my mind is working. I got to create, I got to do, I got to solve problems. And the other thing, of course, I said, you know, I said, think of Appagite as a prison break, <laughs> right? If I don't create any leverage, I mean, I'm going to be working consulting hours for the rest of my life. We're never going to build any financial independence that way. Um, and I just wanted, you know, to, to ask Sebastian, you know, what is your thought, uh, or you, and you too, Justin, what's your thought of working, you know, on weekends and free time? I mean, I just can't, I have a hard time just doing nothing. Like the idea of going on vacation at the beach and just sitting around on the beach for a week and, and really not thinking, I just kills me. I can't do it. Well, actually, it's a great question because I just did that. <laughs> I just went literally on a week uh, at the beach uh, and did nothing. And, uh, and at, the, at, the, at the same time, I think that you have to, to reframe yourself. That saying that work, the work you do, that will, and especially you know, in AI, I would say, but even development work, I was actually able to get more done when I was not in front of the computer than when I'm in front of it. Yeah. And because it's just a matter that you have to frame your mind to, and I was on the beach, I was doing some of the stuff, playing with the kid, having great time. I saw, you know, sea turtles, I saw dolphins, I, you know, had lots of fun, uh, but I was able to clear my mind. And I think to, to get any breakthrough, uh, in your career, you always have to get that time where you just really unhook yourself from the usual, not distractions, but uh, the way you interact uh, I- with your work. And then that, I think, to me, it's like bringing uh, kind of an enlightenment moment where you can say, okay, now I see what I need to get done to actually solve my problems and, you know, and what That's- next do I need to do. That's what I think happens a lot of times when you travel because you kind of you change your perspective when you're in another state or another country. You sort of change your perspective on everything, and I, I think you're right. It sort of, it sort of right, reframes things. And, and but you have to break. You have to break from your usual habits. So that's that's, that's, right. that's the key. If you keep doing the same stuff, where you know, I don't know, you say you just come up at night after your kids go to bed and you go on the computer for a few hours. Uh, that's not breaking the habit. Breaking the habit is just doing something out of you know out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Breaking yourself from it, and then out. You know, I, I'm not saying to do that. You know, all the time. I'm just saying just right. you, have, you have some key points where me, I had reached a point where I, was, I feel I was feeling burned out. So many projects moving on at the same time. And really, that really helped me refocus and say, okay, that's what I need to do here to get going. So, uh, and it so definitely that, happens. I was just going to say that um, just Jason answering the same question. Like it definitely happens to me that at least once a week, I will feel just to the point where I do not want to look at the computer. I want to spend an evening doing nothing. I want to get away so that I can just kind of recharge the batteries of um, the problem-solving batteries. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, that's why, like, at 5 o'clock, I got to go to the gym, I got to leave. In the evenings, I don't work. I generally read and, you know, and hang out with Sandy and, you know, the kids and, and, and you know, whatever, I mean, do other stuff. I mean, I, I think there's only so many hours you can do. And I just wonder, though, though, is, like, there's only so much time that I can spend. Like, you know, one thing is, it's one thing to take a couple days off and not, and, and, and not think and just kind of like, you know, watch movies and go out, go swimming and play. But at some point, my brain, my brain is like spinning out. Like I gotta, I just start getting bored. And I remember on our honeymoon, uh, say this like 10 years ago, we're sitting on this beach in Playa del Carmen and I'm like reading this 800 page book on artificial intelligence. <laughs> Sandy's like, give me a break. <laughs> you know? But I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I got, I don't know what to say. Well, there's actually something really interesting to say about that because I think the 
same with my wife or the kids. You know, they say, why are you working? I'm not working. I'm having fun. You know, yeah. Some people are going to go play a video game or they're going to just go watch a, a soccer or football game on TV. This is not the way I work. This is not my idea of fun. And I think the, the key thing for me that you know, along the years, I try to stay focused on you know, the day work and all the investments, all the projects I have. But at the end of the day, what makes a difference for my mind is to break away from any... Uh, any type of deliverable I need to make, break away from right. anything I need to do for something I just want to do for fun. And that's, to me, that I found it, you know, uh, it's as good as just, you know, taking a break and doing something like swimming in the pool uh, to just break away and just use your, you know, your extra mind power to build something cool. Well, it's, and, it's, uh, it's, like, it's like the equivalent of playing a game of chess, right? You're using right. your brain, but there's no stress about it. It's fun to use your brain and to think, but it's not like, oh, God, I got to deliver this tomorrow and the client has a meeting and they want to blah, blah, blah. You, you're taking all the pressure off yourself. That's right. Plus, at the same time, I have to say for, you know, being in that field of development, uh, picking up a new technology and going at it for fun is actually going to help you. I mean, I cannot, can't, I cannot tell you how many times something I, I did for a pet project for a few weeks turned out two years later to be the foundation for another great project I had to do and get paid for. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's never time wasted and uh, I highly recommend it. And that's how I find out if somebody's passionate about the, what they're doing. Because if you're passionate about that field, you're never going to stop thinking. And when you're driving your kids to class, uh, to dance, whatever, you're going to have an idea, oh my gosh, this is the way to do it. Hey Sebastian, what's your, what's your job title and how many developers do you manage? Uh, my job title, I think it's a great question. We're still, pretty, well, we're still a small structure, uh, but I think it's closer to a senior developer or lead developer or a lead architect. So, you know, I started you know, with them pretty small and I was the, the only one surviving the dot-com bust. And um, I built up, I think, with about, a team of about 10, 10, 15 developers now. Um, that, that we, and we continue to grow. So if anybody's listening to the show is really passionate about what they're doing, I don't care what you code in, just contact me. I'm looking for always talented, passionate people to join the team. So, huh, fantastic. Cool. Well, at that, we should, pro- we should probably leave it at that because I think Jess and I both had to get out of here. Um, but I just want to say uh, a couple things real quick. One, Sebastian, it was a real pleasure meeting you and really Absolutely. appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. You're welcome. Yeah, and totally. uh, helping Justin out with his stupid game. I mean, with his. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, it's really cool. And um, I'll, I'll email you some of my uh, my uh, my um, JavaScript neural net library, and you can take a look at it and see if it'll be useful or fun to play with. Um, the other thing is, everybody, listen to this. It's summertime. Take a break. <laughs> Have fun. Reframe yourself. And um, the other thing is, Justin and I are really trying to build this blog. Uh, I mean, this podcast, build our listenership because we kind of were getting lazy and not doing much. So help us help us get the, our listenership up. We want to try and at least by the end of the summer, our goal is to have 500 downloads within the first, say, uh, I don't know, uh, 48 hours. And we're kind of getting close to that. So if you're listening to the show right now, take a second, post a tweet, write a little blog post if you if you if, about us if you can, or just email some of your friends who might like this because we could really use a little help. We're really trying to get this thing up and going. We had a podcast uh, interview last week with Dvorak, and we asked him and about what we should do, and he's like, "You got to promote yourself." So that's what we're doing. Help us help us push the show um, right now, Jason. I'm I'm I feel really proud of you right now. That that whole segment that you just said there really was beginning to sound like a professional broadcaster and i know that when we first we first came into this you were kind of worried about that but <laughs> i you've really you're really beginning to hit that that's fantastic well thanks that's well learning from <laughs> you right you're, you you're a little more of the pro and and uh i'm just the the other the crazy voice the color man i just want to cut i just want to cut that segment and like send it out to uh <laughs> to, 
to everyone. That was just great. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, it's well, 50 shows in. I hopefully uh, at least I'm showing maybe a little bit of growth. Hey, just before just before we cut off, also Sebastian, um, it would be great to have you back on the show at some stage because um, obviously, you, as as the AI and your strategies develop, it'd be really interesting to hear about the progress. Yes. yes. Yeah, let's, let's let's shoot to do that. So you know, maybe you know, uh, well, I don't know how long it'll be, but next time you have like a, a, a you know, there's a big step forward on, on this, and we got some results, we'll bring you on and talk about you know the experience and what you've been able to to do. Sounds great. All right, guys, that's a wrap. We're Thank out. you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Thanks a lot, uh, Sebastian. We'll we'll be in touch. Just, uh, have a great weekend. Maybe you're running uh, an AI in the background, right? That's right. <laughs> it's actually what it's doing is it's mapping Justin's inputs and outputs so I can create a fake Justin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jason, I think, how about, how about hanging sound? up? Hang okay. up and then call me back. Yep. See, see if that works. Yep. All right, right now.